welcome to podcast 43 in our series you should have been there with me simon calder and me mick webb and today our topic is traveler or tourist which of those are you and does it really matter it's true that it is one of the many polarizing debates in the world of travel slow travel versus fast travel to fly or not to fly and to discuss it we're joined by francis lindsay gordon hello francis welcome hi mick thank you and uh, now you're a travel writer and adventurer simon tells me what kind of adventures do you go on well it it was sort of by accident i cut my teeth writing guidebooks for lonely planet uh, the well-known publisher and i sort of took the view that while I was younger, I better travel to what are considered the more challenging countries and continents. So picked Africa and began there, and then latterly to the Middle East. And on the way, as a sort of guidebook writer, you want to experience everything. You can't write about things unless you experience them. So I would, I learned to climb mountains and drive across the desert and scuba dive and all those things so sort of accidentally became known as an adventurer so I'm not well, sure I really am very adventurous but you sort of become so <laughs> <laughs> well I'm going to call you a traveler then um for the uh, purposes <laughs> of our discussion uh, and Simon you're a travel writer not a tourist writer and a man of the world in the literal sense so I kind of guess you're probably a traveler rather than a tourist <laughs> No, I'm definitely a tourist. And I must say, actually, yes, the media and the tourism industry are guilty of, I think it's called unconscious bias, isn't it, against tourists. Um, newspapers have travel sections, not tourism uh, sections. Um, you've got the sole surviving descendant of BBC TV's long running holiday program is called The Travel Show. And if you do need a break and are allowed to, uh, then you go to a travel agent, not a um, tourism agency. OK, well, I've got a set of intriguing questions here to put to you both in uh, order to find out a bit more about this distinction. Um, do either of you like to be thought of as a tourist or do you actually um, make an attempt to not be seen as one? I think most people want to pretend that they're a traveller, not a tourist, just as Simon says. And I think the problem is, is... There's huge snobbery and pretension about travelling like anything, but there's also definitely a negative connotation of the word tourists. In many of the languages I speak, not just in English, it's a kind of dirty word, and tourists are seen as sort of camera-toting trophy hunters who take refuge in a kind of herd mentality and bring their sort of cash-rich, time-poor lifestyle with them and experience countries sometimes through sort of air-conditioned, gourmet, luxurious and sanitised environment. And they're sort of rather looked down upon, even though, uh, as Simon says, all travellers are simply engaging in tourism. But it's this negative connotation which I think is the problem. Uh, that people, you know, why people pretend otherwise. Yes, I absolutely agree, Francis, that traveller denotes someone who's got seriousness of purpose, whereas um, tourism tends to be a, a more frivolous person. I mean, I actually really celebrate being a tourist because I think tourism is a force for economic good. Yes, of course, it causes enormous harm in some uh, cases in some places. Um, but I'm perfectly happy to be thought of as a tourist. And indeed, given that sometimes I'm actually working professionally, 
often, and I'd be interested in your view on this as a travel uh, guidebook writer, um, it's quite convenient to be regarded just as a tourist rather than somebody perhaps with more serious purpose. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at the definition of a tourist, it's basically, I think, a person who's traveling or visiting a place for pleasure. So in a sense, anyone who goes on holiday is a tourist. But there is, as you say, that that connotation also with damage and the environment and the fact that unquestionably tourism is or can do damage uh, to the environment or ruin places. So I think there's, there's a sort of desire to travel more sustainably, to travel on a smaller scale and do less um, damage to the environment. So um, it is, there, there's different connotations and I think it very much depends on the purpose ultimately of your trip. Are you traveling purely for business, for medical reasons, to visit family, or are you actually traveling for pleasure? And it's a kind of commercialism, let's be frank about it. It's, um, so it all, I think, boils down to the purpose of your individual trip. Having once studied French literature a very long time ago. Um, I went back to look at a poem that I vaguely remembered by uh, um, the great old romantic poet and uh, and indeed taker of exotic substances, Baudelaire. And uh, he wrote a great uh, poem called uh, Le Voyage, which is the journey, really. And uh, um, and he had the following things to say about uh, the true travellers. He said, the, uh, the true travellers are those who leave just to leave, hearts as light as balloons, who never swerve from their destinies and without knowing why say always, let's go. Um, so I think maybe what he was getting at there was that uh, to be a true traveller, you go with the flow, not the tour operator and kind of organize things yourself on a whim is that the hallmark of a true traveler can we do that these days i would say what what planet are you on charles um simply because um <laughs> you know, people cannot do that they have <laughs> they have difficult complicated lives they're all working hard and um yeah okay that, that's absolutely lovely and i i do take my hat off to people like francis who can design their their lives so that to some extent they are able to do that but i bet francis even you know, when you're researching a guy book for example you have an absolutely um flat out regime because you've got to see those hotels you've got to do those dives you've got to catch those buses and um therefore uh i imagine that um you're you're, you're not exactly uh baudelaire-esque in your um in, in your <laughs> i wish simon i really do and you're dead right do you meet i meet people all the time who say what a dream job how wonderful it is unquestionably the hardest job i think i've ever done because you are on a very tight schedule obviously you need to get a guidebook out as fast as possible to keep it up to date so you are up at dawn um planning the day then you're traveling all around taking pictures as well then you come back then you spend after dark you're reading then you're writing up your diary and it's it continues then you get back and of course you've got the deadline so there's there's absolutely no question of going with the flow sadly um and obviously in Baudelaire's time it you know, I suppose the mid 19th century, it was mainly 
rich aristocrats who traveled. Um, and while travel is much cheaper today and I suppose more accessible, much more accessible, few people ever get more than months holiday a year. So I think you naturally want to plan things pretty carefully and make the most out of precious time. The only exception maybe is the gap year, which actually is probably not unlike the grand tour itself. But I think you rarely, rarely get a chance, sadly, to go with the flow. Anybody. So maybe the difference between the tourist and the traveller is whether or not you've actually got the time and or the means, uh, let alone the inclination, to um, organise your own journey. So therefore, what is wrong with uh, letting someone else do the organisation for you? And so I'm going to ask you, this is a personal question, so not so much one for you two as uh, professional um, writers and travel writers, but uh, in in your sort of um, ordinary uh, holiday persona, uh, would you book yourselves onto something that I think is the epitome of organised um, tourism, a cruise ship, um, or into an all-inclusive resort, or maybe even go on a guided tour rather than um, just go around uh, finding out for yourself? Uh, what do you reckon, Simon? Ah, I'm going to say that I would do two out of three of those. I celebrate cruises. I think they're terrific. Yes, they're industrializing the whole um, travel experience to the nth degree. And yes, you, if you are on a ludicrous 6,000 person cruise ship, then that, that's simply too big. But a nice small ship is a wonderful way to uh, get around. Um, you and I, Mick, have explored, for example, the San Blas Islands on the proper traveller's way, which is <laughs> um, hitching a ride with some local fishermen. Um, but uh, that's actually not very practical. And if you want to, for example, um, sail down the coast of Alaska or indeed hop around the Caribbean, um, the, the, the kind of bigger islands, um, it's actually really difficult and expensive to do by public transport means, but it's incredibly easy to do if you are a um, uh, uh, if if you're going on a cruise ship. And I would certainly take a, a guided tour. I do a lot. I consume them like like nobody's business. And the one thing I wouldn't do is stay in an all inclusive resort because I think they absolutely uh, do terrible things to communities. And far better to stay somewhere cheap and cheerful and go out and forage for food and and all your meals. How about you, Francis? How do you fit into that scheme i have to confess i've never been on a cruise and while i see the attraction i'm not sure it's for me with independent travel i love that sense of free will and self-determination when you can get up and decide at any moment where you go and what you do and i sort of would feel slightly confined i think there are times again with travel where you can have that marvellous solitude just you and a landscape or you and some local friend you found and I, I cherish that regarding guided tours I would definitely take them because I think good guides really make a trip and I also believe in in sort of sponsoring local people regarding an organized tour I've done just one and it, my fellow, my fellow organized tourists were very nice. And of course, it was wonderful to have everything done for you, such as transport and accommodation booked and even your suitcases brought up and down from your room. But I will never forget walking along one of the world's most dramatic roads with one of the greatest sense of arrival, the Inca Trail in Peru. And as we approached Machu Picchu, that incredible Inca citadel, which came into view among the myths and the mountains, 
one of my group turned to me and said, I can't believe the price of lamb currently in the UK. <laughs> and that wrecked it for me. And I vowed I would never, <laughs> never go. They were charming. But again, I, I just, I quite like that sort of solitude you can have. And and just not those, not the cultural baggage that sometimes traveling with a group brings with you. It's sort of us and them mentality. Well, um, we... Uh... Uh, well, Francis, Simon and I actually were uh, I'm lucky enough to actually be uh, on the Inca Trail on the last year when you could go under your own steam rather than having to sign up to uh, be in a guided tour. Um, it was um, uh, it was extraordinarily good and incredibly uncomfortable. And I've got to say, um, uh, we uh, we had a very poor tent which had got ripped and <laughs> let in quite a lot of cold water and uh, when we stopped at the campsites uh, we became quite friendly with uh, uh, a group of people who we saw from time to time and uh, uh, they came and visited us one night I think it was on the second night which is possibly the highest campsite really cold and we were trying to cook some dreadful dried freeze-dried mountain meal and because the water <laughs> wouldn't boil at the altitude it wouldn't cook and then um, these <laughs> these two these two young women came over um looking incredibly relaxed and uh, uh, and said how are you getting on chaps and uh, they they um and they told us their menu, which was being prepared for them as uh, as we struggled, which no. I think included champagne and probably the lamb you were talking about as well. <laughs> and, uh, I did feel quite some envy for the uh, organised and guided tour at that moment. <laughs> Maybe I can use this to lead on to my next question, which is that um, another bit of French here, the word traveller clearly comes from at some point from the French or Norman word travail. And I wonder if there's something about the idea of being a traveller that uh, involves hard work, discomfort, maybe, you know, um, crowded local buses, hostels and things like that. And you can feel good about yourself uh, just for the sheer amount of um, efforts you've put in and the pain you've endured rather rather than uh, enjoying yourself uh, in a more um, decadent way. I think there is a kind of, it's another one of these sort of traveling things. There's a kind of full nobleness and worthiness about traveling hard. The harder you travel, the harder the traveler you kind of are. And although I think one of the best things about travel for me is that kind of return to basic emotions, the feeling of being starving hungry or parched with thirst or fatigued to the point of dropping or filthy dirty to the point of no return it's a sort of almost a kind of return to primeval times I don't know and it's strangely reassuring I think um and there's just that thing that if you get somewhere very beautiful and it's been a tough journey the kind of reward is all the sweeter you've struggled for it you've worked hard for it and there you are you can enjoy it all the more then and actually I think in the not so distant past um travel was difficult and also dangerous even in this country you sometimes had to contend with bandits or robbers and highwaymen pre sort of vaccine horrific infectious diseases and i remember reading about Wil- wilfred thessinger in the 1930s traveling through the danical desert where there was a real risk of meeting men who would not only um 
not be happy to see you, but would kill and castrate any stranger they came upon. <laughs> so, you know, it is, it still is uncomfortable and dangerous. And that's possibly part of the reward. I'm not sure. I, I, yes, I, I can see uh, that's, that's a very good, very strong point. I suppose from a tourist point of view, all I would do is defend, not quite the indefensible, but just say it's very possible to be a quite uncomfortable tourist. And anybody who uh, has been to an in-tourist hotel, um, the, the Soviet <laughs> Union didn't mind um, putting tourists in it, uh, will know exactly what I mean. But I still actually love them and I seek them out because they are now so um, uh, get, getting a lot rarer. Uh, so yes, but but Francis, you are you are right. Maybe we could go back to the first question about being a tourist or a traveller. I mean, you you Simon do count yourself as a tourist, but uh, aren't there are there certain tourist trappings which you really do not um, go for? You know, things that you carry bags, gear, clothes, or anything, or do you just not bother to? Um, Ah, good question. I I would rather I I think go and spend a, a fortnight in the um, a desert that uh, Francis described so eloquently, and risking the various things you described, than wheel a, <laughs> a, a a wheelable trolley suitcase along. Thank you very much. Uh, that's where I draw draw the line. Um, and and also I, I the other, I suppose the other thing is that again, from a point of view of danger, standing on a street corner as it's getting dark and you're somewhere weird in an African city or South America or something with one of Francis's excellent guidebooks and you're clearly <laughs> looking at the map, you are you are kind of marking yourself out, well, um, not necessarily as a tourist or a traveller, simply as a victim, um, possibly. But, um, uh, but, but that's all. I agree. I think there's a strong correlation between what you wear and your security. So I've always had that the best safety tip is to try and look as inconspicuous as possible. In other words, don't look lost, don't look rich, don't look as if you've just arrived. So personally, I will always ditch the sort of flashy SLR camera watches or jewellery or clothes and like other travellers, generally try and look as sort of poor and dirty as possible. Um, and I think actually making a local friend is, is a great thing because they, they will look after you. And if you're seen with a local, generally other locals, maybe with less well intentions, will leave you alone. But I think probably the, the biggest piece of advice I have for what you should do or wear or carry is learn the language. I think nothing shows a quicker and more genuine sign of respect and interest in the local culture, country and people. And you immediately, your welcome, your reception, your interactions change. You're, you're immediately sort of welcomed in, um, shown, I think, greater kindness. And the more you more effort you make, the, the greater the rewards. There is nothing as wonderful as being able to communicate with people when you arrive in a country. So I, I think any sort of effort on, in that regard is well worth it. Yeah, both you and Mick are, are great linguists. Um, I just wonder, does it make a difference if it's a, perhaps a more um, unusual language rather than just me and my bad schoolboy French in somewhere in French West Africa? 
um, do, do you turn up someone somewhere and amaze the locals because you 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 are you're the first Westerner they've found who can speak their language? Exactly right, Simon. And it really doesn't take too much effort to learn just the word for hello or thank you. And that's all I've done sometimes. But you can see the delight and the amazement and the amusement on locals' faces. And again, this immediately sort of secures a kind of introduction and a and um into the society and a sort of special welcome and as i say you can learn it on the plane on the way out a couple of words that that's all it takes but 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 that does bring me on to my next question which is making a meaningful connection with local people and um this is often considered to be a difference between a tourist and a traveler a true traveler um uh, you know treads lightly on the ground and uh tries hard to make uh, a, a meaningful connection with the local people. And, and like you, Francis, I absolutely agree that it's a good thing. But um, I think uh, when the chips are down, don't you think that most local people would prefer um, a drunken Brit who behaves in an absolutely appalling way, but spends a fortune in their bar to a pleasant traveller who engages meaningfully with them while buying one tiny coffee? They, well, I think they probably would. It's a very good point. But on the other hand, how do the other locals feel, the rest of the village or the town, if they have this this bar um, sort of spewing out drunk Brits every night? And you, I think you do have to bear that in mind a bit. Um, I think there are possibly slightly more sympathetic ways of making connections. And I think actually anything involving a sort of shared experience. So maybe, I don't know, shared life experience. If you're ever invited to a wedding or a baptism or a birthday, that is a fantastic experience um, to have. And actually sharing food in any way. I know that, say, in Ethiopia, uh, where you eat anyway from a communal plate. You don't have your own, own private plate with private potatoes and private broccoli. Um, <laughs> you all eat off one. Mm. And it's it's <laughs> tremendously bonding. And in fact, they consider that once you have eaten together, you are friends. It's, it's ah. considered uh, a sealing almost, a cementing of friendship. I'm a hitchhiker, uh, Francis. I can imagine that perhaps you, for a whole lot of reasons, might not be, but I find that the most marvellous way to to get to know the locals, um, wherever you happen to be. And of course, with that transaction, generally, you are not contributing anything to their uh, their funds. Although, uh, as you will know, in Africa, in Central Asia and various other places, it's assumed that the um, that the, the uh, Hitcher will pay something for his or her ride. Um, but that that generally works very, very well. But you're not contributing to the local financial economy, more to the kind of, um, what can we call it, moral, oh, spiritual? I, what are you contributing? <laughs> I'm trying to think of my most recent trip hitching through Greece. What was I contributing? I, I was... Um, <laughs> Good I was, question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The first lift. Yeah, Simon. Yeah, yeah first, justify yourself. First lift Simon. I got was tremendous. It was a couple of um, tech uh, uh, nomads from the US, and they were just they just left California, thinking, right, well, we're not going to put up with this 
malarkey for months. So they're just traveling around. And um, therefore, I was absolutely able to say, right, here's you need, how you need to go, where you need to go. It would be just like if they picked up you, Francis. You know, you, you've got a whole list of things. And I'm still in touch with them. And I'm still sending them briefings. And they're saying, oh, we've now moved on to Crete. So so that was good. But, um, obviously, much more typical to, for the uh, to be picked up by the local people. And I think, oh, gosh, um, they are facilitating and you might think I'm stretching credibility here, but they are facilitating you traveling around their beautiful country and spending lots of money um, when you when you get there. So the fact that um, uh, Yanis gave me a lift to the port <laughs> so I could get the boat across and see my friend Sean meant that we were, we started <laughs> drinking earlier than we might have done. Um, I, having said that, I agree. It sounds really quite lame. It's good, good maybe for diplomatic or political relations. Though actually, I think even sharing, I don't know, an emotion is is a more perhaps mutually beneficial um, experience. I remember once having a crazy drive to catch a ferry across France, France again, doing research for a guidebook. Um, and I arrived in the very beautiful, on the be- very beautiful island of Corsica, um, sort of slightly shattered um, because I'd gone at, at a terrible speed and just caught it. Anyway, I headed straight for the square to have a coffee. Uh, it was a stunningly beautiful square uh, and sat under a lemon tree and ordered my coffee, started chatting to the elderly owner. And it turned out he had just lost his wife of, oh. of I don't know, 63 years or something. And I had just lost a family member. And we sort of sat under the lemon tree, kind of blubbing <laughs> over our coffees. <laughs> and he, that then turned into a tour of the island and incredible information about it. And we remained in touch for years and years and years. So a very, very touching story. Thank you. That is a that is a nice experience. I think um, one I've got one final question, actually, which is this. I think we've kind of agreed, really, that um, uh, the uh, labels uh, tourist or traveller um, are not actually um, particularly helpful. But if you were going to try and um, uh, come up with a new way of describing yourself rather than saying tourist or traveller or traveller, not tourist, what would you um, what would you call yourself? I think probably just rather a nosy person. Because <laughs> I think that's in a way what mot- motivates travel, at least for me, just being very nosy and sort of wanting to look over the fence but a sort of international fence if that makes sense that's a very very good way of looking at it i'm still scarred i think by um joni mitchell of all people at the isle of white pop festival in 1970 when there was a very rowdy crowd it was saturday afternoon and the worst thing she could think to say to people was hey man you're all behaving like tourists um I think my description would be um, somebody who uh, uh, goes around so you don't have to. How about that? (laughs) I will go, as I have just done, to see the opening of the new Berlin airport, which was um, a a slightly (laughs) underwhelming experience. But I will go and do that and I will diligently report upon it. And then you uh, can decide whether or not you want to. Uh, go go and have a look. So um, I'm just a, a researcher. How about that? Maybe we're all researchers. I think that would uh, cover 
uh, Francis's uh, self-description as well, perhaps. Oh, I think you're a... Yeah, well, I think you possibly <laughs> could be called a pathfinder, Simon. <laughs> or an airport <clears throat> an airport finder how about that <laughs> um, right um i'm going to call myself a travelist on the grounds that i do really go because i just like it's not so much seeing new things just experiencing new things which can be something to look at someone to talk to something weird to drink or something odd to eat but something new fresh for me anyway uh so uh, that's entirely um uh, selfish but i find it um, a, a very very um sort of exciting and satisfying thing to do and the other thing is that uh, while i'm doing this um i'm often to be seen with um, one of those wheelie things that Simon wouldn't be seen dead with. And, and what's more, the new ones, which are very light and have wheels that face in all directions, which mean you can actually turn on a sixpence and rush for the plane that's leaving from the different terminal, from the one you thought you were leaving from. I just absolutely love those things. I agree. Uh, I think so you, you are seekers and wheelers. <laughs> Wheeler dealers. Well, I think we're getting to something here. But <laughs> OK, I think it's time to uh, draw this podcast to a close. Um, thank you so much, Francis, for your words of wisdom. Well, thanks to both of you. It's fun, fun to join you. And uh, next week, we're going to be talking about photos. Do they help or hinder travel? Find out next week in podcast 44 but for now from me simon calder and me mick webb goodbye goodbye goodbye, goodbye.